It's time once again for the Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast with your hosts, David Lindner and Kevin Cruz. Worship Ministry Catalyst is a resource for all worship leaders and team members serving in the local church. Take a seat at the table and join the conversation as David, Kevin, and their guests discuss all things worship, from team dynamics to technology to song selection. Feel free to poke fun at David's hair, talk football, or bring up other topics that have nothing to do with worship. We want to add your voice to the conversation. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WMCatalyst. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Worship Ministry Catalyst. Or just head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and drop a note in the comments section of any episode. And now, it's time for the show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. Another episode of Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast. WMC. And we do have a great interview coming your way today. Yeah. I'll just, just prepare you for that. So, uh, but, you know, we as always, we want you to know a little bit about us and, and kind of some of our things. Right. And, there's know, been a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mentioned in the uh, in a um, previous uh, episode about I went on a mission trip. Um, Dominican Republic, yeah. and that was really, really awesome. Uh, but we had, we had snow at our house. Yeah, was, you know, so yeah. You guys, uh, man, the the pictures that uh, that your wife puts on uh, Facebook are just amazing. Uh, I mean, everyone looks like a postcard. Yeah, it's just beautiful. we love it up there. That's beautiful. It is grandpa's old house. Yeah, yeah. The old farm. Yep. The old homestead. Yep. Um, no, it really is a beautiful. I mean, it's. I've never even been there. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I feel like I know the place yeah. just from all the. You would recognize it next time you come. You'll know where you'll see. Although it. I'm afraid that I might only know the snow version of it because <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, it's what I've been seeing a lot on my Facebook right. feed. Uh, but wonderful snow. We got snow at our house, which is you know you guys are a thousand foot elevation. We're like right at sea level. So the fact that. You know, we got snow was a big deal, so that was really fun. Yeah. But we got snow while we were in the Dominican Republic, which was crazy because when we were there, it was about 88 to 90 degrees every single day, <laughs> sunshine. You know, we're in shorts and T-shirts. You know, we're doing uh, – uh, we did this kind of fun day thing at a water park with all the sponsor kids. Uh, part of the mission trip was uh, visiting uh, Compassion International Sponsor Children. And then we come back here and it's freezing cold. Right. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's right. It's Christmas. Yeah. So, but, but, but yeah. Some big news. Yeah. Big news. For you. For, for yeah. me. The other thing that happened while I was gone in the Dominican Republic this was. very urgent, important information for all of our listeners. Yeah. No, not really. Just if you're a college football fan, <laughs> uh, the Oregon Ducks finally got a new head coach, yeah. uh, Willie Taggart, which I'm really excited about. I think he's going to be a good fit for the Ducks. Uh, Ducks had a rough season. A little bit. Yeah. We saw it coming, though. Uh, it's true. It's sad. You know, I mean, you're Buckeyes, right? Like, you had one bad season with uh, Lou Fickle. Luke Fickle, yeah. Yeah. And then you get Urban Myers, yeah. and, like, you guys have been on a roll ever since. Killing me, man. That's because it's all about the coach in college football. Ah, so because true. Because you're working with... You're working with college students, yeah. not professional athletes. Some of them go on to become pros, but you got to know how to students. So you have to inspire and lead and encourage. Dude, Urban Meyer's got it, and uh, recruit, the guy before, which is what uh, I think was it, Mark Helfrich was Mark Helfrich. Yeah, 
he just didn't recruit. He was not a recruiter. It was clear that he didn't recruit when your last two quarterbacks yeah. were stolen from other teams. So Right. Well, and to be <laughs> fair, not stolen. They were they were transfer students. They were graduate transfer students. Yeah, but they were already college players, not newly recruited high school players Agreed. that had potential for four Agreed. years of football as opposed to one final year. Anyway, so I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I just had to get that out. I had to share it with all you podcast listeners, uh, because um, I get back from the Dominican Republic. I found out we got a new head coach. Obviously, Oregon's not going to a bowl game. uh, But you know what? Next season, 2017, we're going to come back stronger than ever. (laughs) At least be a little bit better than you were this year. Yeah, hopefully. So, but anyway, so that's that's a little bit about uh, what's going on in our lives right now. And college football is just very important to us. (laughs) But uh, today we've got a great interview with Kevin Twitt um, of Indelible Grace Hymn Book. Great and, uh, name, Kevin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, how many Kevins can you get on one podcast? Uh, if your name was Kevin, that would be amazing. You think so? Uh, I don't think I look like a Kevin, though. No, you don't. So. You look like a David. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to jump right into that interview. Without further ado, here is our interview with Kevin. Well, we are pleased to bring you uh, another interview today with the uh, Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast in partnership with uh, Garden City Project. And uh, we've got, uh, I think, what's going to turn up to be a great interview based on our just our, our pre-interview discussion. I think yes. it's going to be... Uh, and it wasn't like a deep discussion. It was just fun. And no, so that's what no I'm what, what's going to make this interview great is we are with uh, Kevin Twitt. And come on, the name Kevin... It's yeah. such a great name. So if you got yeah, if you got two Kevin's on the podcast, it's just bound to be an an epic episode. So, it's going to be. So Kevin and Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be with you guys. Um, right off the bat, if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of introduce yourself to us? Give us a little bit of your story, and then also uh, introduce to us the idea of uh, Indelible Grace Hymn Book. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the Baltimore area, got converted in high school through the ministry of Young Life. We'd grown up in the Episcopal Church and uh, then went off to a place called Berkeley College of Music up in Boston, studied recording engineering and guitar playing. Um, That senior year got involved in helping start a Christian ministry up there. Also was a formative time trying to figure out what I believed that led me to a bunch of used bookstores and buying a bunch of books. <laughs> some of them weren't so good. Some of them were great. But it already that kind of oriented me towards older writings, um, which becomes an important part of the story as we mm-hmm. explore it. Um, I moved down to Nashville to be a recording engineer in the late 80s. Did that for a few years. Joined a rock band, was in a a CCM rock band. A guy yeah. Named David. yeah. We actually beat out uh, DC Talk for the Dove Award for New Artist of the Year, but you've never heard of our band. What? Uh, what, what, what was the band? What was the band? David Mullen. David Mullen and One Blood was the oh. name. He eventually married Nicole C. Mullen, so a lot of people know. Yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, but we were, we were signed on Warner Brothers and, you know, did a couple records, which I'm, I'm proud of, and, you know, toured around. I got to get a couple of cool jackets and see the world. Um, and by the end of that period, I also started, um, along with some other folks, a college Sunday school class. So I started working with college students just as a volunteer, but then that sent me off to seminary eventually and uh, went to Covenant Seminary up in St. Louis, Missouri. When I got done with that, I was called back to Nashville to work at a place called Christ Community Church. Scotty Smith was a senior pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to start RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, 
at Belmont University, which is a school here in Nashville, has a Baptist heritage. Um, it's not a Baptist school anymore, uh, but I've been doing that now for 21 years. And it was really working with these students that led me to the work of Indelible Grace within the RUF community. Um, now we have about 150 chapters on different campuses. Back then we had about 25. But um, that ministry was already doing some singing of hymns set to new music, singing of psalm texts, um, trying to sing more substantive scripture songs, because they already had this value that worship is formative. I think the fact that all the campus ministers are ordained pastors probably gives them, you know, maybe some convictions about those sorts of things. And uh, for me personally, as I began to work with college students, many of whom had come from church backgrounds, I found regularly they would be having a lot of doubts and questions. And I would ask them, uh, you know, explore this a little bit. And I would regularly find that, number one, they hadn't sung the songs. And so they were feeling like if they had doubt, maybe they weren't Christians at all. And uh, that began to concern me. And the more I kind of dove into that, I began to realize that the songs they were singing were really lying to them about what the normal Christian life felt like. So I felt like we need to find some better songs, wow. songs that are more honest about struggle and more explicit about the gospel. And so we started looking around for some of these old hymn texts that had fallen out of use. That was I kind of had went back to these old books, old texts that had sort of been helpful for me in college. Um, C.S. Lewis has an essay called On the Reading of Old Books that it impacted me a lot. He suggested reading two old books for every new book that you read. And I'd found that myself was helpful. And so it seemed to connect to try and maybe sing some old songs. And that's really where Indelbogus came from. It came out of this kind of pastoral concern. We were doing those songs kind of among ourselves for about five years. And then in 1999, we recorded the first Indelible Grace record. It came out in 2000. And people really resonated with it. I think we were at a kind of a moment where a lot of people were feeling dissatisfied with a lot of the modern songs, especially the stuff that was aimed at college students. I found a sign in an antique store that I used to describe what I think was happening in the early days of Double Grace. It said, my grandmother saved it, my mother threw it away, and now I'm buying it back. Yeah. And that really seemed to be what was going on. Like A lot of young people were wanting to know, like, what was this? faith that had shaped my grandparents, that my baby boomer parents wanted to discard a lot of these kinds of songs, a lot of these kinds of practices and rituals, and they were wanting to explore some of these these kinds of things. So it seemed that Indelible Grace was part of that bigger movement that was going on. Hmm. Yeah, uh, really cool. Thank you for sharing the backstory. Thank you for sharing yeah. kind of uh, uh, where that came from. Uh, real quick, I want to go back. So, um, Belmont University yeah. in Nashville. So, yep. are you currently teaching there right now? Or? Right. So, both, yes, I'm the campus minister with RUF, which is part of the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm an ordained minister with them. I've been working for the PCA with RUF at Belmont for 21 years. And I also am an adjunct at Belmont and Covenant Seminary teaching classes in hymnology. That's yeah. awesome. The reason I ask is because um, uh, one of uh, one of the gals who was on my worship team uh, here yeah. in Vancouver, Washington, is now at school in Belmont University. Oh, uh, and uh, Grace Jones, she's a bassoon player. Uh, so yeah, so so she's on the the bassoon track. So she's doing kind of the uh, the, yeah. the 
the uh, uh, band you know, all that. Yeah, Orchestra. all that stuff. But they just had the uh, the Christmas at Belmont like a week ago. Yeah, she's in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, uh, a year ago, it was, uh, I guess every other year, they broadcast it on PBS. Right. And so yeah. uh, last Christmas at Belmont, we recorded it, and, and there's Grace Jones playing her bassoon. Cool. Cool. And I'm like, yeah. no way, she's famous. Yeah, it's, awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's a pretty well-regarded school for music. Half the students are music or music business majors. So um, it really, I went to Berkeley College Music, which was, of course, an all music school. Right. But uh, Belmont feels like there's a lot of music going around. And that's really, you know, this thing with Indelible Grace kind of started just with our students. I mean, I had all these singer songwriter students. I would give them old hymnals um, that had been reprinted, like uh, William Gatsby's collection, um, also Spurgeon, uh, his hymn book called Our Own Hymn Book has a thousand texts in it with no music. And so I would regularly give those to my singer-songwriter students, not just so they could come up with new tunes, but because I felt like the poetry would really connect to their heart. So there was a pastoral kind of sneaky you know, thing I was doing um, and ended up producing some, some great songs that, that then our whole group would kind of resonate with and then eventually people even beyond our group. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned uh, a couple of names there. Who who would be some of your favorite hymn writers, or maybe some of the more uh, significant hymn writers that are maybe a little less well known? Well, yeah. So you know, it's 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 interesting. There are so many great hymn writers that are known for one hymn. Hymn tune writers known for one tune, um, and then there's some hymn writers who were very significant in, in past centuries that have dropped out of use. Probably for me, my favorite hymn writer is Anne Steele. Anne Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E. She was really the most significant Baptist hymn writer, male or female, um, of the past, uh, most prolific Baptist hymn writer. She's an English Baptist lady, lived back in the 1700s, and wrote tremendous hymns, particularly hymns of lament, Mm. in a day and an age when people like Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts, while they wrote many amazing hymns, never really wrote hymns of lament. Uh, for instance, Isaac Watts did versions of 133 of the 150 psalms. Uh, some of the psalms he thought he couldn't get Christian joy into them. They just, <laughs> and uh, one of those is Psalm 88, which in the NIV translation ends, darkness is my closest friend. So he doesn't know what to do with something like that. Like He doesn't think that you can end in that place, even mm-hmm. for a season, uh, even though the Bible does. Uh, and that Anne Steele does 30-some versions of him of psalms, and she does Psalm 88. So there really is something that I felt really was helpful to my students. Because remember, I was trying to get them to understand that real Christians have real struggles, um, real struggles. So she has a hymn that's really my favorite one, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. Mm. And I remember when I found that in an old hymnal, just the name Steele, I didn't even know who she was, but even that title just arrested me, Dear Refuge of my weary soul. Like, that's what I was feeling. That's where my students were. But it didn't seem that you were allowed to say that kind of thing in church. And so to find an English Baptist lady that lived 200 years ago that was struggling the way we're struggling, and God met her in that place, it all of a sudden made the kingdom of God so much bigger for my students. Hmm. Yeah, there's something really refreshing about knowing and recognizing that hundreds of years ago, people are struggling just like People are struggling today. And I agree with what you're saying, Kevin, that a lot of the hymns that we'll sing at my church, a lot of the hymns that, you know, uh, wonderful, wonderful hymns, 
you know, and they're fo- they're focused on the authority of God and the kingdom of God, and they're focused on those things. Um, but I'll I'll agree with you that at least we in our church aren't singing a lot of hymns that are lament hymns. And right. the fact that you're referencing, you know, uh, this Anne Steele, who uh, what was it? What was the title of that hymn again? The Refuge. Yeah. Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. Oh, man, yeah. just the, just the title of it. Yeah. Sandra McCracken, I don't know if you know her music. She's yeah. an artist involved with Indelible Grace from the time she was a college student. Um, she sang that one and played it on the piano and did a just a remarkable version of it. Yeah, there really is something, the pathos of that text. Um, and so I've just kind of figured, look, we got to sing this text and tried to come up with a tune that seemed to fit. And um, that still is one of my favorite texts. And she's got a lot of really fabulous hymns, and we've retuned quite a few of her hymns, which really haven't been in a hymn book in about 100 years, except there's one hymn she has about the Word of God, which is hung on in some hymnals, because there's comparatively few good hymns about the Word of God. So that one's hung on. But the hymns about suffering really disappeared. And, um, you know, that's a a topic for another day. But um, it really was late 19th century, early 20th century. There were some kind of theological movements, the higher life, let go, let God. Those sort of movements really pushed suffering and honest expressions of struggle out of a lot of evangelical consciousness. And the songs, I think, reflect that. Well, and Kevin, I, real quick, I was going to say, probably my guess, correct me if I'm wrong, is but just you being, you know, involved in college uh, on the college level, my guess is that, you know, a lot of the students who are coming in are really resonating with these ideas of, hey, I'm hurting, I'm suffering. And I, I think yeah. there's a, a very real sense where, at least on the college level, uh, th- that kind of raw emotion really connects and resonates with them. Yeah, there's this kind of deep irony. We'll sing a song like On Christ the Solid Rock which has this line, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And most people don't know what they're saying when they sing that. But a sweet frame is kind of older evangelical talk for a, a sweet emotional state. A frame, living on your frames is like living based on your feelings. And while a lot of people have learned that they shouldn't trust when their frames are bad, it's a whole other thing to say, I don't even trust in my sweet frames. We don't despise sweet frames when the Lord gives them to us. The Puritans used to call those moments God's kisses. But if you depend upon them and your faith is basically based upon them, uh, it really sets you up for tremendous problems. Because John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said that generally God will draw you to a deeper level of trust by taking away your feelings after you've initially become a Christian. Now, whether we agree with him or not, it, I think I think that's right, and I've seen that a lot. And I've seen what happens is if you misname normal, it really messes people up. And so if what God is doing is drawing people to a deeper level of trust, it's not just based on their emotions, and they think that that means maybe I'm not a Christian anymore, that's a real problem. Hmm. So it's so important that we hear some of these older writers and authors um, who maybe can interpret, I think, more biblically— what my students are still dealing with today. Well, we're kind of going there already, so uh, maybe we can get there a little bit more in depth. Um, what role do you see uh, that the hymns play in, in not only defining our understanding and, and relationship with God, but our Christian walk and our Christian faith? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think the first thing I would always try to point out to people is that worship is formative, 
whether you like it or not. So worship is not just an expression of how we're feeling. It is actually shaping us. Um, Jamie Smith has some great stuff about that. If you know his Desiring the Kingdom, some of his, his work about this, like human beings are shaped by their loves and by what they find beautiful. Um, Paul talks about that to the Corinthians, right? That we're transformed from one degree of glory to another as we gaze upon um, Christ's glory. And so I think that's what we need to understand. So when we sing songs that are all about, Lord, I love you, and uh, I just feel your love so much at this moment, if that's all we ever sing, then the people that are singing are coming to believe that that's the only thing Christians feel. That's why it's so important you go back to the Psalms, and lament songs, where are you, God, what are you doing, God, psalms, are so prevalent in the Psalter, but they're very infrequent in our kind of modern worship um, canon. And I think that's uh, unfortunate, and I think that actually shapes people's understanding of what the Christian life is about in um, some pretty narrow and unhelpful ways. Hmm. So I think some of those hymns are really helpful you know, just to say, wow, like regular people um, felt the kinds of things I'm feeling. And that was still within the framework of Christian faith. I mean, we think about Mary, the first time she's told that she's going to have a baby. Do you remember what she says? She says, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. Yeah. Is that a doubt? <laughs> no? Well, I mean, that, that, so the, the idea that raising questions can go along with deep faith is a deep biblical theme. But unfortunately, it's not one that's so prevalently taught today. And so that's why I found these hymns really helpful to say, hey, wait a sec, people have thought differently about these things in the past. And that was C.S. Lewis's point in that essay on reading old books. He said one of the best ways to get past your modern cultural blinders is either to you know, go overseas and kind of interact with Christians that see things differently or go back in time and see how Christians talked about suffering and how God might be teaching them and deepening them through it. When in today we tend to think of suffering as something to get you know, over as possible. Because old Christians may be wrong, but you'll never question your own intuitive sense of how things are unless you have another vantage point. And these hymns can really offer that. Wow. You know, Kevin, another question while we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the hymns. And I, I mean, I love what you're doing. Uh, the Indelible Grace Hymn Book, I, I think that's just really refreshing, especially you know, as you're discovering these kind of texts and even even engaging your students and having your students kind of help in that process. Uh, my question is, songwriters today, I mean, th- there's no shortage of songwriters. Uh, yeah. y- you know, I-, I think both David and I, we- we've dabbled with songwriting ourselves and, and right. um, many people who listen to our, our podcast uh, are songwriters and worship leaders. Yeah. But mm-hmm. what, what kind of things... Um, what kind of advice would you give for songwriters today with engaging in hymns and even attempting uh, to write new hymns of their own? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, what I've seen is that if you really get into the old hymns and try to figure out what makes them work the way they do, then you can sort of be discipled by these great hymn writers, Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, and sometimes it's a little intimidating because some of their poetic skill is really astonishing. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to remember, like I said, most hymn writers are known for one hymn. Um, so, you know, don't despair when you read all these great old hymn texts. Um, <laughs> but try try to emulate. I mean, one like 
you know, one little technique that, that I learned, even when I was at Berkeley College of Music, even in some pop songwriting classes, was to take a song that you like, maybe it's a modern song or maybe it's a hymn, try to retune it, write a new tune to go with that text, and then take your new tune and write a new text, right? So it's kind of like a way of being discipled in, in sort of the format. Uh, <laughs> But there's, there are some things, I mean, I teach hymnology, so this is obviously a big topic, uh, even on have, how to write a hymn text. And I'll have my students for their final project write a hymn text, and g- generally that's the most intimidating thing uh, that I can ask them to do. They're all really afraid of it. And what I find is you just got to put to death perfectionism. You just got to write a lot of bad songs to write a good one. <laughs> and you just got to go through that process. Um, a lot of the tunes I've written, even tunes that we've recorded on Indelible Grace Records, the longer I've sat with them, the more I'm like, yeah, that wasn't really great. Um, it, it, and, and that's okay. You know, sometimes the song may be important in your faith community for a season, yep. but it may not need to go beyond that. I think one of the challenges now is with the internet, it's easy to distribute music. And so we may think that everything we write, everything we record is worthy of giving to the whole world. And it may not necessarily be for that purpose. Maybe God just wants you to, to have it minister to your people and then see if it resonates and wants to go beyond that. So I, I think I would t- encourage people to not be intimidated, just to start, just to try, um, get some good feedback from people that will encourage and be honest. And, um, and I really think trying to retune hymn text is a really helpful thing because you're beginning to get inside those texts and figure out how they work and why they work the way they do. And you'll learn a lot about poetical devices. You'll learn a lot about metaphor and imagery. These hymns tend to have a much wider range of those kinds of devices than a lot of modern songs. Well, we're almost out of time. And so I can see already that we're not going to cover all of the stuff that we need to cover. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like what we need to do is like invite our listeners to go audit your class or something on <laughs> hymnology. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, Covenant Seminary's website has my History of Hymnody class available to listen to for free. Oh, wow. wow. So, yeah, so that, that that's a, a helpful resource that they have there. It's covenantseminary.edu. Um, the other thing is the Indelible Grace Hymn Book. And that website um, has all kinds of resources you can download for free. You can hear some of these songs. We've always thought we don't want people just to use our stuff. We want people to take the idea and try it out in their own context. Yeah. Um, that's why even the Indelible Grace Hymn Book, so we've recorded nine records of this music, um, full production but then the Indelible Grace Hymn Book has every song stripped down to one voice and one guitar so that a worship leader can take that and say, well, how would this be incarnate in my context with my musicians? Uh, I do get a little distressed when I feel like a lot of worship leaders think they have to reproduce the sounds of the records. And I would love to see churches develop their own sound. And yet they might take this idea and say, man, we could do that. We could find some old text. We could buy a couple copies of Spurgeon's hymn book that are reprinted and give it to some of our songwriters and let them explore some of this stuff. And who knows what might come out of that. Yeah, I really appreciate that idea, Kevin. Thank you of just inviting people and inviting our listeners, you know, to to try it. You know, uh, don't be afraid of it. Um, I, I think, like you said, sometimes there's this sense of, oh, no, I guess too intimidating is too daunting uh, but mm. yeah, uh, don't be afraid to to you know dive in and take some of the text and um, yeah, really good words of wisdom. Thank you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I would like to do, uh, 
just we kind of have time for a couple maybe final questions. We don't have time to get into the history of hymns or, you know, uh, (laughs) hymnology, Uh, but I would love to uh, down the road, maybe have you back on the podcast. We could just spend a whole podcast talking about that because I think there's a lot of great material there that we absolutely, absolutely learn from. But um, we've already covered one of the topics uh, that's missing in that idea of lament uh, being Mm -hmm. a big missing piece of what's not being covered in in modern worship writing, worship songwriting, worship hymn writing. What would be some other gaps and in content that we need to be aware of? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually had an opportunity a few years ago to be part of a summer seminar at Calvin uh, Seminary up in Grand Rapids. And we analyzed the top 250 modern worship songs, um, as reported by CCLI of the last 20 years, versus the top 250 uh, hymn texts for doctrinal content and looking at different things. And it really is fascinating. Yeah, as lo- along with that lack of lament in modern songs, the word sin is never used as a verb. Wow. It's a few instances of it used as a noun, like my sin, but the idea that I have sinned, it's missing. And then we wonder why moral therapeutic deism, the idea that God wants us to be happy and healthy, is really the functional religion of most evangelical young people. Um, I think it's connected to the songs we sing. I really do. So I've tried to find songs that were more explicit about the gospel, the bad news and the good news. One of my favorites, John Newton's Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. Um, he's got this great uh, verse in there which says this, um, let us wonder Grace and justice join and point to mercy's store, the storehouse of mercy. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. Mm. The idea that um, in Christ we get the smile of God because Christ has lived and died in our place, the truth of imputed righteousness, like what the cross actually does um, is is really missing from so many modern songs. When the cross is mentioned, it's never really developed or unpacked. And I think uh, it's hard to have a very deep experience of the good news of the gospel if you have a pretty shallow understanding of it. And while there may be connecting words used that uh, fill out the content of the modern songs, the, the modern songs just don't delve into the heart of the gospel the way we need to. Hmm. So I, I'd say that's, you know, you might be surprised at me saying that, but really— the cross is not unpacked or explored or delved into very deeply, um, except in these old hymns. And that's interesting that I did about sin. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last time I sang a worship song where, you know, I'm talking about the, you know, the, yeah, the, confess- the, sin, the sin that I have and the fact that I'm a sinner. And, you know, um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, not, I mean, there's not only is the word not used in that context, the word is very rarely used. That's yeah, rarely at all. Yeah. And, and it's the same just, as Trinitarian content. Hmm. So um, Shine, Jesus, Shine, out of those top 250 songs, is really the only one. Now, there are things like Father, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Spirit, I love you. That's not much Trinitarian development. Right. But Blaze, Spirit, Blaze, that line. Hmm. Um, you know, and it's interesting because there's so much talk about the Spirit, but there's hardly any theological development of Trinitarian concepts, which is pretty important for Christian worship as well. Wow. Wow. I'm about There's a guy Ruth who's done a lot of work on this. He's a research professor of worship at Duke, uh, and he's done a lot of work with this body of modern songs versus um, 
the classic hem text and sort of just pointing out some interesting things. He'd be a great guy to have sometime hmm. as well, I think. Cool. I'm on the verge of a sneeze. So if something... <laughs> By sneeze, all of a sudden, don't don't be too alarmed. Wow! But, Thank you for sharing yeah. that. <laughs> the heads up, yeah. Um, but uh, really quickly, as we kind of wrap things up, um, if you would, uh, would you kind of tell people where they can go find uh, Indelible Grace Hymn Book and and get yeah. in touch? I know you said you have twenty some chapters uh, around the area there, and then uh, you've written right. nine albums or produced nine albums, and so lots yeah. of great content that I think people should be uh-huh. able to find. Thank you. Well, um, all you got to do is del- in, is a uh, Google Indelible Grace Hymn Book. Uh, indelible is I N D E L I B L E. People often can't spell indelible. <laughs> so the website is I the letter I gracemusic.com. You can get a link to the hymn book site there. But really, the hymn book site I think is a great resource for worship leaders. All of our records are on Spotify except for the newest one. Um, They're all on iTunes and Amazon, of course. Uh, We also have a documentary. Uh, We did a a live show at the Ryman Auditorium, historic uh, venue here in Nashville where the Grand Ole Opry started, where Bluegrass was first debuted. Um, We did a live recording there, live hymn sing, and that is available on YouTube. You can watch the documentary, which includes that concert. Um, It's called Roots and Wings, the story of Indelible Grace and the RUF hymn. So that's a, a great resource to find out um, what this is all about. It was 10 years after the first record when we did that concert. And so you get to hear some of the students reflecting 10 years later on what this movement has meant to them. That's awesome. Well, as we kind of finish up here, I would like it if you would, uh, would you give us one final word of encouragement to songwriters, maybe future hymn writers, and even just church leaders when it comes to this area of hymns? Yeah. I, you know, one of the things uh, that I really try to encourage people with, and I, I guess I'll leave you all with this as well, is to encourage young people um, to find roots and wings. Um, what I mean by that, and it's a phrase I took from a guy named Gerard Kelly in a book he wrote on youth ministry, but the idea that we want to be connected to the past, but be able to add our own voice. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people are made to feel like they need to kind of create everything brand new. Um, or even to minister to our postmodern context, we've got to like throw out everything from the past and, and to be relevant. I, I really find um, roots and wings to be a really helpful way of thinking about this. Um, I think in the scripture, fathers don't exasperate your children, and young people respect your elders. Both have church music implications, and um, I think it's, it's worth considering that. Mm. Try to find your place in the tradition and then add your own authentic voice to it. Uh, I think is is a great goal. Uh, really good stuff, uh, Kevin. Thank you again for taking time for joining us here on our podcast. Uh, boy, we I think we definitely need to, uh, Kevin. We got to get you back and just do a whole episode where you kind of unpack some of the history of uh, of hymns and hymns writer. Um, you uh, obviously just have a, a a depth of knowledge. Thank you for sharing today. My pleasure. It's been great to be with you guys. Love to do it again. That was awesome. I I said it at the end of that episode just now, but I want to say it again. Um, he just has this wealth of knowledge, this depth of knowledge that I just, you know, as a musician, as someone who, you know, leads uh, music at my church, as someone that picks songs and attempts to write songs, 
I mean, I, I really feel, you know, again, I said it on the episode, but I feel like I could sit down for an hour or so and just listen and learn mm-hmm. from Kevin and just kind of understand, you know, some of the, the hymnology and uh, the history. And, uh, you know, there is a guy who knows his business. Right. There is a guy who actually knows what he's talking about. Right, right. Yeah, and that's what I really appreciated. And actually, one of the things I was disappointed we didn't actually get to talk about was, you know, hymnology or, you know, hymnody or whatever, you know, different kind of people call it different things, but the history of hymns and, and some of the hymn writers, um, I love hymns. You yeah. know, I'm, I've always, and we've talked about that many, many, right, many right. times on this podcast. That's one of the things I miss the most is, is some of the rich content that comes from the hymns. And so I look forward to hopefully having Kevin back on the podcast down the road. We can dig into that just a little bit more in depth, but, um, really a lot of great content. I hope today, uh, what what people will do is they'll connect with with indelible grace and just go oh, and totally. see all the the uh, work that they've done there um and and the hymnal and i like i like how he said on the hymnal when you get the hymnal it's just a guitar and and, a, and right a, just the the vocal uh you know the the vocal part and guitar and and so like so accessible i love how he's made it accessible um i realized after we recorded i'm like oh my goodness like indelible grace you know because he was talking about jars of clay um um or i think oh did he talk about that after we recorded Ooh, i can't remember doesn't matter the (laughs) the point is he was talking about uh kind of some of the the work that they had done jars of clay recording a hymns album some of the partnership he had with matt odemark and uh and dan and i think uh, that was after but Okay. Well, okay. That's what we were talking yeah. about after after we stopped recording the episode. Uh, me and David talked with Kevin a little bit more about that. But anyway, as we were talking, it dawned on me. I'm like, oh my goodness! Like I I know like I know this music. Like um, I have that Jars of Clay um uh, hymn album, uh, Redemption Songs. Um, I I have experience uh with Indelible Grace music. And just recognizing how um, how far-reaching their impact has been for even me as a, a young guy ten years ago picking up that Redemption Songs album, recognizing that I've been influenced by Kevin, um, mm-hmm. uh, that I've been influenced by Indelible Grace music, and uh, it was really it was really kind of you know eye-opening right. to to say like wow like this has been a great project that has influenced me, mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize it right right. And, uh, but you know, the, the, back to the thing about, you know, guitar and just that recording that comes out, you just, how much time have we spent over the years working with bands to get them to sound like the recording Yeah. as opposed to working with our bands to come up with something creative and our own arrangements, our own versions of these songs. Right. I mean, yeah, not trying to, not trying to do something like that's going to be impossible because you can't make a studio recording right. every, every Sunday in a live context, but just saying like, yeah, this is me on a guitar. You know? Yeah. And like Rich, uh, Rich Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick, who we've had on the podcast in the past, he talks about, you know, a lot of worship bands are essentially just worship cover bands. We're just covering the pop tunes, right? Mm. The pop songs of, of our day. And why not step back from that and, and be our own uh, creative uh, expressives when it comes to taking a song. And that's what I love about that idea is just, here's the song. Here's the, the bare bones basics of the song. Take it to your group and be creative with it. And let's, and, and then let us hear it, you know, send it to us. Let us hear what you did with it. I think that would be awesome to hear people doing that. So um, indelible grace uh, hymn book. We'd love for you to go uh, 
uh, check that out. And then uh, iGrace.com, you can go find out. But they also have just lots of stuff available, documentary, uh, lots of things you probably want to check yeah, out. Yeah, Roots so. and Wings, that sounded really cool. Yeah, I, yeah. And um, but anyway, so go check them out. And then like we've talked about, uh, would love for you uh, to join us on some of these projects we've got going on in our collaboration with Garden City Project. And so if you would uh, head over to worshipministrycatalyst.com and click on that projects tab. And uh, we'd love for you and for this worship ministry catalyst community to just kind of become a source of, of creative ideas for churches uh, and, and your community and churches that, that are maybe right down the street from you, as well as churches across the country and even around the world. We might be able to help uh, further the mission of the kingdom of God just by uh, by being faithful with the gifts God has given us. So we'd love it if you'd do that. Cool. Um, but go check us out, worshipministrycatalyst.com, twitter.com slash wmcatalyst, facebook.com slash worshipministrycatalyst. You can send an email to... To me, kevin at worshipministrycatalyst.com. And we'd love it if you would send uh, leave a review on iTunes and uh, and let people know what you think about the podcast. Share us with people, if you will, and just let people Do know uh, lots of great information here. Not because we're awesome, but because we've had a lot of awesome guests. We have. So uh, it's, it's pertinent information, not just for worship leaders, but for artists and creatives and pastors and church leaders. Yeah, I'm telling just, you, man, the, the last 20 or 30 episodes is like the game has, the game has elevated. Things have changed. Boom. And uh, this is, I think, a podcast for all all people now. I artists think, yeah. and, yeah. Um, so... Uh, share us uh, with people if you will and uh, until next time we'll talk to you later bye twitter.com slash WM Catalyst facebook.com slash worship ministry catalyst 